Welcome to a new episode of No Ride Around. Uh, by the way, today, uh, uh, clap on the back here, Harley. Okay. This is the fastest we've set up for a podcast recording. There was no like side, all this back and forth. Like this was the the, the quickest that we've ever executed go time. <laughs> so getting it down to a science. Yeah. It was after dope. I don't know two years. <laughs> Three. <laughs> Three. Know. Well, of recording it ourselves. Oh yeah, fair enough. Um. um so we're here. Yeah, we are. Um, but for you, as is often the case, only by the skin of your teeth, because uh, you got tra- trapped outside of the state. Yeah, so outside I, of the country. <laughs> there's there was this. Um, you know, like when you're living your own reality, and you can sit there and go, "Man, this is terrible." But if you took, I used the term this morning on a coaching call. I I told somebody, I go, "I need you to climb up just ten feet and look down at yourself." That's it. Just 10 feet. Like not like some big life perspective thing, but you just need to get 10 feet away from yourself right now. And so while I may have this, oh my gosh, I was trapped. I mean, I was still trapped in like Columbia with a bike and ample cash in my pocket. You know? and, so. and your Instagram like posted, uh, what was like the, the tent with the candles or oh, whatever, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, it like looked off of it came out of an ad for like yeah. National Geographic or something. You know, yeah. it was just this unbelievable, beautiful place we stayed, but only after a bit of hardship. Yeah, I got trapped in Colombia um, because I I I didn't bring I didn't get a COVID test to fly back to the U.S. and so started getting frustrated at the Colombians. But it's not their fault. It's the U.S.'s requirements to get back. That, right to get back into right. the country. And so I knew that that could be a potential, but. Um, like flying back from Panama last year, I used an at-home test. So I had at-home tests with me. So we're in the airport and we're in line to get in and they're asking for a COVID test. I'm like, oh man, I didn't know I needed it. You know, I'm American. And they said, you do. And I go, no big deal. I got my at-home test right here. So I pull it out and she goes, yeah, we don't accept that. But and this is what? the this is the U.S. customs agent. No, no, or- this is the manager for, for the airline in Colombia. But, you know, she's working off of the guidelines that, Right. Given, right? Where they but it's land. for the US. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'm like, but it's an at home test. It's the same thing. She goes, Yeah, it needs to be a lab. And I'm like, Do you have a lab here? No, there's a lab 30 minutes away. Okay. Well, I'm two I'm two hours early, so I can I can get there. She goes, Yeah, but then the test takes two hours to get the results. And then 30 minutes back, she goes, You're not gonna make your flight. But there's another flight in two days. And Abby just looked at me and she's like, I I I don't I don't want to do this. And I'm like, well, we don't have a lot of yeah, choice. Not, like I don't either, but yeah. here we fucking are. And so um, we accepted our fate. And and I got like, you know, you know me. Like I have um when I get faced with a problem, I have this like initial energy that's like Rah! and I like, execute it really quick. You've seen me do it. A hundred times. Yeah, here at the shop. Like you go, oh, I don't have that specific it could be something obscure. I don't have that front chain ring. And I'll call 33 bike shops and drive all over town and buy one at retail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. To get back here just for, and it's like, dude, if you, I could have had it tomorrow. And I'm like, it's not good enough. Tomorrow's, I, this is a right now problem. So I went into that mode briefly and I started looking at, you could fly, like you can fly within Colombia without a COVID test, but you can't fly back to the US. So I was like, all right, well, I have to switch my flight to Friday anyway. I'll switch it to a different part of Colombia and then we can fly to Cartagena or we'll fly to Medellin or Bogota. We'll go see a new city and we'll make an adventure out of this. And so I'm like going through and I was about to spend $2,000 that I don't have to make all this other like super elaborate deal before I just took a breath. I was like, I'll rent a car. 
I had been a guest to this active travel for the week and being driven around for a week is about my limit, right? Like it is right. actually way past my limit. Um, and, and I was like, I, I can't be driven around anymore. I, I got, I just got to be in charge of my own thing. So I was like, I'll rent a car. First place, no cars available. How do you guys not have cars? You're a rental car company at the airport. Second place, only other place, no cars available. So we were in Bucaramanga, Colombia, which is not really a tourist area. It's where Colombians go for their vacations. Gotcha. You feel me? So yeah. it'd be kind of like the Black Canyon of the Gunnison here in Colorado. Uh-huh. It's beautiful. It's a cool area, but it's not cool enough to draw like international visitors well, and, and more importantly, in your situation, they're not going to have a rent, like multiple rental Total. car options. Yeah. Like yeah. they're, you're, you're going to be stuck in certain ways. So I was like, what do we do? So I was like, all right, well, we'll take a taxi to a different rental car company in the city. I know it's going to be 20, 30 minutes away. We're going to the city to get a rental car company. So I'm like, all right, we'll get a taxi. Now, what am I carrying alongside of my backpack? What else do I have? A bike. A bike. So we go down to the taxi. For a second, I thought it was two, but then. Yeah. yeah. We go down to the taxis. And uh, all of the cars are like what you see in South America. Like they are the size of... Tiny. Yeah, they're like the size of a back seat of one car. So none of them can fit the bike. That's right, we'll bring you a big car. Okay, so we're waiting for the big car. And so the big car comes. <laughs> now the, the, the regular car is like the size of like a Honda Fit, right? Like Tiny. The big car was about the size of a Honda Civic, right? So Bigger? Yeah, so I go, all right, Abby, you can have the front seat. The bike sat on the bench in the back seat with the doors barely able to shut. And then it was me crouched behind Abby's seat on the floorboard on my knees and the balls of my feet in like a pseudo weird crouch stance position in between the bench and the back of her seat on the floor. I think they put people in that position in POW camps. No, it's I was waterboarded all the way to the (laughs) rental car. So yeah, anyhow, long story long, we got it and uh, we enjoyed a couple of days of vacation. But yeah, I was in, I was in Columbia for this three-day stage race and um, wow, it was, it's, it's, it's beautiful. The Colombians are amazing, amazing people. And then the race went off. It was, it was awesome. So the race director did a fantastic job. Uh, the logistics were amazing. The support was amazing. Um, and the race, the race itself was, was awesome. Yeah, so, it was nice. I, um, I'm getting good at... FaceTime bike repairs with you. Oh, we're getting real good at it. <laughs> Golly, that B tension scare. Yeah. I, so Justin FaceTimes me or texts me in the middle of the day. It's a busy, busy day at the shop. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, tell whoever you're talking to that you got to go because I'm calling you from Columbia. And uh, he <laughs> Which, tells, in hindsight, I felt like that might have been a little rude. But I was in my, my face. I was yeah, in that, you, like, were, you were in I your, in I, I need this fixed right now <laughs> mode. And it's fine. It was totally fine. Uh, because when it's super busy, which it was that day, um, I just don't have my phone on me. So you could have called 30 times in a row. And until I walked back over to my phone, I wouldn't have got it. So yeah. it didn't matter. Yeah. Um, explains this problem. And I correctly diagnosed it without even seeing it. Oh, yeah. And in the text message chain after that, I sent him a GIF of Yoda. Because uh, that that was that was my feeling at that point. I was just like, well deserved and appropriate feeling. <laughs> well, I knew something was amiss the way it was performing. Um, but when I went to, so they had mechanics there, and they did a really good job like cleaning the bike. And I had to do some other stuff throughout the weekend. They did a really really good job. But you know, like, okay, you can be judgy. You can roll in and see a mechanic and be like, 
I know that they can do this. And you can see another mechanic, you go, I'm not sure. Now you could be surprised by them for sure. Like they could, they can know everything and, and you could be wrong. But odds are, you know, if it's got stripes and it growls and it's got claws and it's in the in the jungle, it's probably a tiger. Yeah. You can like so I'm looking at this kid who took my bike and I'm like, already I go, this isn't this isn't gonna be right. And he said the solution was to he goes, Your chain's too long. This is in Spanish. I have to cut your chain down a link. And I immediately like undid the bike myself in the stand and pulled it away. And I was like, dude, get away from here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so thank you for the uh It's funny. I uh I'm like a degree worse because I have what I consider very high technical skill as a mechanic. And so like the, the times that I've had to go to a mechanic other than myself, it's the, if you've watched uh, parks and rec, when Ron Swanson's walking through home Depot and some kid walks up to him and was like, can I help you? And he just looks at him and says, I know more than you. Like that's how I feel <laughs> yeah, every time. Which I is get... right. <laughs> so I, uh, I'm ill-equipped for, for other mechanics to play with my bike. Dude, when he said he was going to cut my chain, I was like, he, I mean, he could have said, I'm going to take your wife upstairs. Like yeah. it was that offensive. Yeah. And based on some of the problem or the problem he had the next day, that would have just made the problem the next day worse. Oh, so bad. Um, so you, it was a three day. it was weird. It was like a Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Yeah. Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, in registration, which is what they call like picking up your your yeah, stuff, right? Pack and that, pick up. that was on Friday, and we didn't get to the venue until about three p.m. on Friday, um, because I don't know the difference between a.m. and p.m. and should work off military time, and so we landed like you know mere hours before you know I, I landed fifteen hours before the race started, which is not uh, not ideal international traveling etiquette. For races, so um, get the bike all built, whatever. Everything was fine, and, and like I said, they catered to to me very well for a couple of reasons. One, I was a guest um, because I had won that cruises race in Panama, so that's how I got this trip. And then two, um, I was the only well, I was one of the only two Americans. The other being Amir, which mm. we were racing. You know, we came to there together, so we were the only Americans in the seven hundred racers, and there were two Americans, and so there was. Um, there was a lot of like energy around, you know, helping us and showing us support and in and, and grace. I'm like, like being good ambassadors dude, for they were, where they are, their oh, country, man. the yeah. event. Yeah. Like our, we were our, our rep with active travel. Who's with us the whole time. Um, William, amazing dude. And he was on the Columbia junior national team when they won worlds. And so he's, he was a high level racer as a kid got injured. Um, but he drove us around everywhere. Like he was our personal dude. And took our bikes and we're like, it was, it was like some white glove stuff. It was super cool. Oh, that's awesome. Um, but once the race starts, there's no white gloves. Like you're in it, you know? I just got a race. And uh, the, the race was, it was a deal. Um, for where we were, just to give you an understanding, the Bucaramanga airport is on the top of like a mountain range. Hmm. Because the city itself is in the bottom of in the these mountains. And it's not possible to get jets up and down. Right. That's how steep... It's one of those, is. like, you could probably YouTube, like, scary airplane takeoffs. Totally, and yeah, it's, right, it's exactly. One of them. It was, every day, the, or the first two days of the race, it was straight in your face climbing. And so, in the hopes of not spending an hour talking about this race, I have distilled each of the three days down into one takeaway. <laughs> All right? Um, 
outside of the energy of the, of the event and all that, like they, it's a huge production. It's one of their two biggest mountain bike events uh, of the year in Columbia. So it's a huge production and, uh, and, and again, done phenomenally well. Um, we're based out of Hotel Ventura in Bucaramanga in the uh, Pia Cuesta neighborhood. And each morning the race started at 6 a.m. start. And so our driver would pick us up at 5. And at the start line, you know, you have all that same stuff you have in any race, no matter where you are. You know, like you're sizing up people around you and this and that. But we have this little exclamation on us being the only Americans. And then me in particular, they had made like a, a bit of a deal about me coming down for this, you know, having that one other race. And so... I like the front of the race and feeling super good and strong. And I'm like, dude, take this thing, man. We're going. Like, I'm just, I don't really know what's in front of me. I got the GPX loaded, but it's not like I pre-wrote anything. And so I'm just going to go as hard as I can. And I'm going to hang on to the people in the front and hopefully beat them. And that's just what my strategy is because I have no other way to build a strategy, right? So day one's takeaway was a 180-pound guy on a 25 pound bike can be really strong. But a 145 pound guy on an 18 pound bike, who's just <laughs> as strong, is way faster than you. Yeah, And that's what the first day was because we started pretty hot and then I was in the front three riders and then we're going up a steep pitch, but it's not crazy steep. And I'm like, well, this isn't that hard. Right, I looked down at my power meter. I'm like, yeah, I'm like throwing like 300 watts, but I planned the first hour being like over 350. So, I mean, not a big deal. I'm gonna keep pedaling. And next thing you know, like everyone disappears around me. And then I look back, and they're nowhere. Like I've gotten a switch back ahead of them. And now the local Colombians are cheering us on and stuff. And they're like, they're like, Primera, Primera, like tell me I'm first and all this. And then the race director, Pato, it's super cool dude. He's up there on his dirt bike and he looks back. He's like, Justin, you're riding so strong. And I'm like, I'm the man. <laughs> Like, and, uh, then, then it got steeper and, it uh, kicked up again and, uh, I wasn't the man. There's a, we did a conversation a while back about weight weenies. Right. And from like downhill, going downhill all the way through about 3% grade, there's literally no effect on weight. Like you could have a 30 pound bike or a 19 pound bike. It's pretty much not going to make a big difference. Right. Um, but once you get above 3%, like 3 to 10%, there starts to become like nominal differences, impacts behind weight, right? And I'm sure it's like on some sort of, I'm sure, like a, on a curve almost. Like. Yeah, at a point. Yeah. But then that curve gets hockey stick steep above 10% grade. Right. So day one takeaway, when you look at your GPS and it says 31% grade and you are being sodomized by your bike seat, and you're in your 51 tooth on your XTR cassette and frantically trying to find a 13th gear. So the, uh, the story of day one was, why don't I have 13 gears? It was steep, dude. Mile, mile 18, I looked down and we had climbed 6,500 feet. Jesus. It was <laughs> stupid steep. Well, and it looked like, you know, I followed on Strava. It didn't look like any one day was like an insanely long day mileage wise. No, three hour day. And even time wise, it was a three hour day, three hour day, two and a half hour day. Yeah. Mileage was like 30 and 30 and like 30. It was like 30 mile days, right? Yeah. Um, but you did what? Probably 20,000 feet of climbing? Um, not quite that. Oh uh, yeah. Close. Yeah. Yeah, gotta be like close. Just under 20. Yeah. Cause it was like almost seven, almost seven. And then the last day was like 40 something. 4,100. So dang close. Dang close, 20,000 in those three rides in a short amount of miles. It was 
it was gnarly, dude. And um, but that was the takeaway from day one was they're steep, and then there's Columbia steep. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ended up uh, trying to find that thirteenth gear at the detriment of my drivetrain <laughs> um, and jump and chain a few times and, and having to stop. But uh, pulled out, ended up like third in the uh, pro elite field for day one, and uh, it felt a little cheap because I didn't have you know I had some mechanical issues uh, and. And so the result looked really good, but the feeling wasn't good. Mm. And so I was like, all right, day two, I'm going to earn the feeling of the of that podium finish, right, for the, the pro elite field. So um, day two, I did the same thing. Started off front, and I was like, well, I'm, I'm this, like, American dude who's supposed to be super strong. And they now all know my name. And, like, even people I don't know in the race that are affiliated with it are, like, calling out my name. And so it's, like, this super cool feeling. And so I'm like, I'm here to perform. So the second day starts, I get out in the front, and – you make a quick left-hand turn after like a little rollout and boom, you're right back into like the 15 to 28% ranges Ugh. of steepness in your granny gear. And there's um, like two concrete paths that are like basically cut like a fire road because you're going through like mud and stuff. And uh, so you're riding on those paths and I'm the lead of the train on the left and there's a guy the lead on the right. And I'm like, well, I can't disappoint the people behind me. And so I got to keep his pace. So we're just leading the race. And I look down and I'm like at 170 beats per minute and like 400 watts in, in the granny gear. Yeah. And I'm like this, the William guy who, who guided us, he goes, oh, the day's going to start off with the wall. That's what they yeah, called. Okay. And I was like, all right. So, so I grind and doing all this stuff and like oh, fighting and this and that. And then I finally go, okay, I got like a rhythm with this and I can do this. So day two, uh, the real takeaway was... I don't really care how steep it is. Like, this is all doable. And so we've talked in the past, like LaRuda, I've always gotten bested. And you're going to meet this section I'm talking about on day two. It's so steep and you're in spongy grass and like these like high, high country fields. And it's just this power sucking terrain. And you just walk because you're just like, I don't want to ride anymore. Like, I just, <laughs> like, I just don't want to yeah. do this. Yeah. And it was cool. The takeaway on this day two was that like the answer was like, you can and so, you know, I never got off the bike and it was just as steep and it was just as gnarly, um, but was able to push through the finish. And I ended up uh, second on that stage and made enough time to take second overall in, in the pro elite. So had like a really good day. It was freaking badass. Um, so that was the takeaway. It's like, you can do this. So the first day I was like, Columbia steep is, is next level. Different steep. It's different steep. And then day two is like, but you can ride this stuff. So day three came. And it was much more like what you and I are used to for a Colorado mm-hmm. style ride. There weren't multiple pitches and all this stuff. It was uh, nine miles of like pseudo downhill rollout to one huge steep climb that was like 3,800 feet in descent. And then that same nine miles coming back, false flat. Up. False flat back up. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I knew, what, did I, what have I learned so far? I can do the climbs, but... These dudes are lighter and faster on the climbs. And so if I can hold off the guys that are like pursuing me in the field, if I can hold them off on the climb, it's all going to be good. And sure as shit, I come out and was nuking. So it's me and two other dudes were like off the front, right behind the lead out motorcycle. And I look down, we're averaging like well over 20 on these nine miles. Like we're flying, dude. Then we get to the climb and I go, all right, it's just, this is your one, one work zone. So 350 watts and just pedal, right? I didn't get passed by the first place pro elite dude until the very, very top. And he passed me at the very top. I'm like, it's all good, dude. 
I got this guy on the descent. There's like now my weight's an advantage. Mm-hmm. So he passes me, and his name's Diego, and he's such a nice kid, speaks no English. And so uh, he goes up me, and, I, and I'm like, hola, Diego. You know, no hiding, right? Yeah, yeah. And I go, and adios, Diego. And he starts laughing, and he rides away. Yeah. So I get into the descent, and I'm flying down, and sure as shit, I didn't think I'd see him again, and I do. And I come flying up behind him, and I'm like, Diego, Diego, adios, Diego, and just freaking send it past him. And uh, and then I was like, he's probably going to catch me at some point. I mean, he's a super strong rider. But then I got done with the descent, and he's nowhere behind me. Like, no, like he's, I don't even know if he's in the same country anymore. He might be like elsewhere. Right. And so I go, oh, I'm going to finish this thing like a monster. I'm going to take first in the stage. It's going to be sweet. Like I'm going to go third, third stage, second stage, first stage. It's going to be a good little progression, right? Um, I come flying, dude. And I'm screaming at myself. I'm screaming at my legs. When people come and buy it, like, you know, people that are just in the communities and stuff, yeah. I'm screaming at them. Like I'm just screaming. Crazy white guy on a bike yelling at himself. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I'm six kilometers from the finish line. Not far. You just did math in your head. I, I saw did, it and I, miles. then I stopped. Yeah, not quite four. Yeah. So close. Psst, rear tire. Losing air. And I lost air fast. Jump off, see a hole, puncture, throw it to the bottom, orange seal plugs it, blast the CO2. Three minutes later, flat again. The hell? No more CO2. And then the lead group passes me. And they include both first place pro open and second place pro open. And they're pace lined with like five dudes and they're flying. So I kind of knew I was out at that point. A dude throws me a CO2. I use it. Three minutes later, it's flat. Amir catches me. He gives me a CO2. I fill it up. Three minutes later, it's flat. Now, why didn't you put a tube in, Justin? Well, because each time I threw it in the air, I'm thinking it's going to seal it. Right. And I'm like four, six kilometers from the finish. Like, yep. So then it's out. And then I'm just on the rim. And a motorcycle came up with some police, uh, the, Colum- the Columbia National Police, because we are they're like only Americans. It was really neat. They like rode right along me, and they knew my name. Yeah, you know, so it's kind of cool that they're just keeping an eye on you, keeping an eye on <laughs> me, right? Like not that it was da- never yeah. felt dangerous in the right. country of Columbia ever. Right, um, but it was it was a nice feeling. A motorcycle comes up with a pump. I stop. He pumps up my tire. I go through, and then it ends up with just me riding on a rim um, to the finish line, and uh, and you just kind of throw your hands up, and so. Day three taught me that um, that I could I could I could have pulled that out right, but like racing's racing, things happen, yep. and you can't sing the pity party. So the takeaway on day three had nothing to do with the race. It was almost at the very top of the climb, and then just as I was cresting the climb, I looked to my left and I saw these plants, and I'm like, "The hell are those plants?" And I looked like more keenly at the plants because I'm only going three miles an hour because it's a steep snow, right, right? right? And uh, it was a pineapple field. I had never seen fields of pineapples yeah. Yeah. ever. Before. I don't think I've seen a picture of one. I know. Like, pineapples look cool in the store. They're all spiky and shit. Right. But the field was, like, the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. The, the plant looks like the top of a pineapple, but not as, like, firm of leaves type of deal. It's, okay. like, a little bit. Uh-huh. It looks like it's, like, you know, softer. But it looks the same. So, like, little mini palm trees. And then all these pineapples growing in, and they're in like these, what appeared to my eye, perfectly straight rows in a perfect situation with the perfect amount of sun. And <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? And I was just like, bike racing is beautiful. Like, cause I would never, like Abby, for instance, didn't get to see that, you know? Right. Um, bike racing lets you see and feel things that you would never see and feel outside of being put in an environment where you're willing to like test your limits. 
go places you've never gone. And I discover something like for me in this case, seeing that pineapple field was like this epiphany moment. So day one was like, wow, this is steep. Day two is like, yeah, but you can do this stuff. And day three was like, and also it's a pretty beautiful world. Nice. Yeah. It, it's uh, it, it can feel like a high cost of admission to see that stuff, but the moments where you do get to, I mean, I haven't experienced it in Columbia, but I've had similar experiences uh, here in Colorado racing here. Um, and so if you're willing to pay that, that, that cost of admission to get those moments, they're pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, the, and, and, and when you're on the rivet like that, you know, it just, you know, like I'm going to show, I'm showing you a picture of what a pineapple field looks like right now, but that's not the pineapple field I right, saw. Right. Mine was like on the steep hill. And After like a huge and the, the sun's hitting it perfectly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it's like a, an ad for the pineapple company. <laughs> totally. Um, so yeah, man. So that that was the event. And uh, that's awesome. Um, and it was kind of fun just to get it a little bit blow by blow because you were. <clears throat> I don't know what this says about my brain space, but so you called me the day before the race to fix the bike, and then you called me the day after stage one, cause the bike broke. And so from that point forward, I'm just like having my own anxiety about <laughs> your race. <laughs> and so when I don't get a call on, on the second day, I was like, all right, good. And then <clears throat> you didn't call me about the flat tire. Uh, cause what's there to do? Um, but I saw it on Strava. Um, and I was just like, Ugh. right. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was kind of one of those, like, if I cared, if I was too much of a race boy, which people listening to this podcast are like, dude, I don't know, you kind of sound like a race boy, right? <laughs> um, but you always got to keep it in perspective, right? Like, sure. um, I mean, I will never be at the level that racers, that that's their only thing. You know, this is a thing. It's a mm-hmm. big thing, but it's just a thing. Mm-hmm. And so that helps to put things in perspective, you know? Um like I talked about a couple of years ago at the Shenandoah 101 year, there was a kid that was coming off the back of the front of the pack and I'd caught him on my single speed. And he's like, oh, the systems are off. I think I'm going to pull. Like he was in a point in his racing career where he would rather just not do it than do it at a level that he knew was below what his potential right. was. And so if you're too race boy, you could have a mechanical and just be like, well, I'm done. I'm done. I'm out. You know? And you can see even with like my setup, I'm not quite – so I only had one CO2. Right. <laughs> You know, I should have had two. Right. And I was like, I don't really think I'm going to need a second one. It's pretty much like like Jeep road, but it's like South American Jeep road. So it's pretty gnarly, but it's still just, bro, like there's not like a puncture or a blowout risk. Right. So you carry one CO2. So I'm like in the middle, right? But you got to keep it in perspective. I mean, even if you're racing this weekend, if you're racing at Bear Creek Lake State Park, right, which is by no means a majestic, beautiful, no, no pineapple fields. No, not a one. Okay. It's a lot of brown. A lot of uh, bags of dog poop sitting on the side of the trail. Totally. Yeah, it's not it's not majestic. However, you're getting to ride trails that you, you've ridden tons of times, but you get to ride them directionally with no other traffic on it. Yep. That's a really unique position. So mm-hmm. even if you have a mechanical this weekend or you run into an issue, you're still getting to ride as fast as you want um, on trails that usually you have to like pay attention to. Hikers and walkers and families and this yeah, and horses and all. Like, things, yeah. oh, no. Yep. No, you get to just rip. Yep. And so I think it's nice to be able to do that. Like, again, oh, yeah. climb that 10-foot ladder, look down and go, yeah, but you still get to do this thing. Um, yeah, so that that's that's going to be my first race. 
Yeah, it's your first race of the year. Yep. Um, all this segues nicely into... So you've been racing since the beginning of the year because you're you and that's what you do. <laughs> right. Um, and I don't say... I like I respect it. It's awesome. Um, but a lot of people are getting into their, their first real races. Um, some people on our team uh, did... Uh, the name or the race, which shall not be named. Um, but I always feel like that a lot of people do that as a training event, really a a confidence check or just like a way to keep themselves. Even the years that I've done it, I, I, I just, or the year that I successfully was able to line up and start that race. Uh, uh, it was really just a way to keep myself honest through the winter. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I, th- I feel like the, the bear coming up this, this Saturday is a lot of people's first, re- it's mini racers, first real mountain bike races right. this year. Yeah. And, uh, so with that, a lot of people, I mean, dude, this shop, if you came in here and listened to the, the, the way that people talk in here, I'm sure everybody that works here is so sick of talking and hearing about FTP. Oh, I bet. Because that's all off-season training, right? At-home training, Zwift. That's how you measure it. It's, it's, it's like FTP, 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 FTP. Well, and then, yeah, like, yeah, everybody's obsessed with it. And everybody's, you know, what program are you doing? And what volume are you doing? And this and that. And so I have a, a perspective for me, which is that FTP doesn't matter. Like, it just, it, it's... It informs training, but outside of that, I don't feel like it matters. Um, and uh, I wanted to talk about testing, race strategy, and if any of them matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, you know, it's, um, you know, I, my dad's been in the auto industry his, his whole career. And, you know, I'm always blown away by like how many people buy cars like on a daily basis, Mm -hmm. like the volume of like, eventually you would think like just everyone has a new car. Like they're out of people needing new cars, but it just isn't the case. The amount of cars they sell is insane. And the thing he's always said about it though, we talk about, you know, how you pick a car and is it a good deal? And this, that color is like the last thing that makes someone's buying decision. Yep. But it's the first thing that brings them in, right? Like they come in, they go, you know what I want? I want the new Bronco. I want it black with black rims. Okay. Well, we have this, neon yellow one that's six thousand dollars cheaper oh yeah i think the yellow one's gonna be also it's here (laughs) yeah and it's here right so (laughs) so and i I bring that parallel up just to kind of like you know have a different way to look at it ftp is like the focal point but then once you get in it you know it kind of falls away and these are the three these first three months of the year is where that focal point right now it's that like i want that black on black Mm -hmm. what's the ftp it's the hugest thing ever yeah in july i don't even know if we're going to hear the word right well and you know and and i don't want to go too crazy on this i kind of want to talk more abstractly about ftp but like it's only half the fucking equation anyway to your point with the 145 pound guy who nuked you on a climb yeah, you, you definitely have a higher FTP than him. And that's what I was going to talk about when we got to race strategy, which is, um, yeah, as a matter of fact, my massive FTP by comparison to that dude. Like, so it's just here's the example. The day after the race, uh, William took us, 
with his team. He coaches for um, the Columbia Paracyclists national team. He coaches a couple people on the Columbia national team. And then Santadar, which is like the, the, I guess it would be like a state, so to speak, that we were in. He coaches the Santadar team that travels all over the South America racing. And so we rode with his, his like kind of mishmash of people from each of those groups. And the one kid, one of the kids we rode with is a 16-year-old um, on the Santadar team. And he was off the front. And so I rode with him because, again, I'm the dumb American and like the strong guy. And so I wanted to have a good effort with him. Big guy. Pedal hard. Make yeah. fast. Dude, I was doing threshold workouts the day after the race. for like <laughs> these cl- So he's on a road bike. He's 16. And he's a 16-year-old Colombian. So yeah. he's like eight pounds. Yeah. At one point, we're doing this climb. And I look at my computer and I'm throwing 362 watts. Uh-huh. That was the exact number. And I looked over his and it said 187. And I pointed at his computer and then while still holding my 362, took my Wahoo off and just le- re- reached over so he could see the yeah. watts. It could be like, yeah, bro, like, come on, dude. I'm a strong man. But that's how much I had to work to offset all of the other variables. Right. Yeah. You know? Different bike, different weight. Different bike, different yeah. tires, weight, rider weight. Like, so but yes, I mean, that's double. Double his FTP. And we're going the same pace. And I probably was working harder like my tax was a higher tax right right you know right and so you're right like it's just a number and it is wholly individual right wholly individual who's the fastest mountain biker on the no rider on team um it's i mean elander for sure okay cool my ftp significantly higher than his right him significantly faster than me yeah because he's what does he weigh 135 pounds 140 pounds. So it's so first point on FTP, since this is an FTP episode, yeah. first point is it's a wholly individual number. Yep. So if you're asking each other's FTP, unless you're the exact same weight as somebody, yeah. and then you want to flex on them, which then you're just an asshole, right? right? Like, just stop, right? It's a wholly individual number. And so when you're looking at it, you can only look at it you versus you. My FTP versus my FTP three months ago, six months ago, whatever. Like, You cannot measure it against each other because it doesn't equate the same. Case in point, my whole race in Columbia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm sorry. A thousand thoughts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, and also, I just want to say this before we, we start talking about testing protocols. Um, FTP also doesn't, inform capacity for work or grit which are big big factors too yeah and i think you know as we talk i think bigger factors once we get into race strategy with it that's when it'll really come out where like your 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 ftp to your point yeah it informs training it can be your own measuring stick as i said individual but yeah like you're either you're either a tough son of a bitch Mm -hmm. or you're not yep no matter what your ftp is yeah right and that's where like the Zwift racing scene has really messed that up for mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. because you can be a monster on on Zwift in the virtual racing scene, the eSport League, and then go out on your bike and like, well, yeah, but you can't mountain bike. And it got hard. And so you're like, well, it's not, you're that kid in Shenandoah that backed off the race. Because, mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Not but everything's like, going perfectly. Yeah, the, the conditions, like my tire's slipping. I didn't have the right pressure. I, yeah. You know what I mean? You're that person. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll jump into just real quick, um, determining FTP. And there's basically, I think, uh, three pretty common testing protocols, which is the 20 minute test, 
uh, which is really an hour. Right. There's a ramp test, which everybody, I think, um, it was pioneered by one company, but I think everybody has some version of a ramp test where it's a shorter test. I think it ends up, if you go really far up the ramp, it's maybe 35 minutes. At the most, most people are doing like 20 to 25 yep. minutes. Um, and, um, and I think every, I know, I know all the popular, any, any, uh, indoor training software you would use has it right now. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, the big dogs just came up with, uh, predictive FTP where their system will predict on a ramp test day. You can just hit predict FTP and it looks at your body of work and it says today your FTP is this. And I've done all of them. And as far as accuracy goes, they're all the same. Yeah. They're all within such minimal percentage. Two, watt, two to five Watts. Yeah. It's what the seen. same deal. So, and so uh, I want to ask you as a coach, what, number of like what would your percentage variance be for it to be considered flat versus or like if you had if you did all three you know plus two here minus five over here and somewhere in the middle here like what would the number of variance be yeah, where you would I just mean, where, where you would say like they all say the same thing yeah a couple percentage points yeah like one to two percent yeah. probably yeah and in there has to be a narrow window because you know, a 3% change in FTP is actually, especially in season, mm-hmm. like that would be, that's like, a wow, change. that's great. That's yeah. a change. But yeah, in between one and 2%, you could have, you could have had a bigger toilet visit. That, <laughs> you know, like right. there's just, there's just yeah. a lot of things, but mm-hmm. between the testing protocols, yeah, one to 2%, you're talking about, you're probably in a, in a, in a pretty flat spot, sure. which also doesn't mean bad. Right. And that's where like, yeah, in the first part of the season, if you spend, okay, say you say you're like I'm doing a training program, okay, and I'm gonna do these rides, and maybe you're industrious and you're you do I do four scripted indoor training rides a week, December, January, and February. That's actually a pretty good commitment, yeah. considering like the time of year and this. And that. So say you do that, right? That's four hours a week. Fast forward to like June, when it's all the trails are open and it's nice out and you're like, why well, ride every day after work? You know, you get five to seven to eight, nine hours a week. Mm-hmm. So this time of the season, while there's a lot of focused training, total volume is, is relatively low. And now you have the argument between, yeah, but it's more intense. And stuff. But still like you're not riding as much. So for some people, if you just can maintain the end of season FTP last year through this winter months, if you live in like a four season place like we do, mm-hmm. The flat's not bad. No, flat's good. Like it, it it's it. I, what I would ask somebody is if they were at the end of last season at an ideal body weight and body composition, and they just held it through the winter, would they think that that's a bad thing? And I think ten out of ten people would say, "No, that's awesome." Yeah, I think they would until you start talking about like what your friend did. Yeah, but you just can't look on like that's been a, a huge growth thing for me to not get caught up in what other people around me are doing. And it's super hard because I work every day with my best friend in the whole world who, even though we don't openly express a competitive nature of our friendship, it's there. Yeah. And he does like every now and again, like I do a lot of work. And when I look at, and then he does like these crazy, like two days and these blocks and then I'm like, well, should I be doing two? You know, like it's so hard. 
so like everybody just needs to not worry about what anybody else is doing yeah like it's it's it's, been a hard growth point for me but i'm there i got there (laughs) and into the topic of today too like everyone needs to ignore what everyone else's ftp is yep like like if you are at the start of a weekend group ride and you guys gonna get after it and everyone goes my ftp if everyone had their ftp written on their shirt yeah are you gonna just ride behind a guy whose ftp is higher than you right even if he's going slower than what you could, no, like you, you don't. You're just gonna go you ride. Uh, you're just gonna go ride. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. So, so your, what type of test? Yeah, you, I know what your preferred type of test right. is, uh, which is the 20 minute. Yeah. And I have come to embrace the 20 minute FTP test, not because I like it, because I don't. That's terrible. It sucks. Um, but you learn things about yourself. <laughs> During a 20-minute test that you're not going to learn um, doing a ramp test. The ramp test, in my opinion, is flawed um, because you know what your high water mark was. Um, one of our, our racers, Colin Donovan, he's like, I can't do the ramp test. I get to whatever the number is. But it, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's stuck in his head. Yeah. Right? Like, he has a mental limiter on what he can do in that ramp test. Um, and so... I think, I think the ramp test doesn't allow somebody who's been training a lot to realize their full potential in an FTP test. Yeah, it's um, and also it on the on the other end of it, people may be able to falsely execute a higher level of work sure. because of how short it is. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like everyone can lift the car off of the baby trapped under the car. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like. In the in that moment, yeah, like but that. you can't go lift three thousand pounds, right? Like just on a regular day. So, totally. because it's so short, and you know that, uh, you're never going to get into like what we call like the pain cave. Like you're never really going to suffer because it's so short interval based. Yep. Yeah, because five minutes of it's hard. Yeah, of the whole thing. And I'm a big fan of building character on the bike, and there's very few opportunities to build character on the bike inside. Yeah. Um. I. I you said it on the last episode that we did that, you know, characters built on rocks. Right. Um, but there are, there are windows of opportunity in indoor training to build little bits of character that will backstop the outside stuff. In 20 minutes of going as hard as you can yeah. for the whole 20 minutes yeah. is one of those moments. Like we used the word grit earlier in this. I think one of the only indoor workouts that provides the opportunity to hone your grit and sharpen that sword is the 20 minute FTP test. Yeah. Because it's a long time. It is. Um, and it's funny me being the human that I am, I wanted to understand. So I did my first ever, uh, 20 minute FTP test at the beginning of the year when we started the Donna dust program, I'd never done a 20 minute. I'd only ever done ramp tests. Um, and, uh, I didn't, I wasn't, I shouldn't say I was trying to like game the system. I just wanted an understanding of, uh, kind of loosely how they figure it out and what it is. And, um, and I used that to set a floor. I didn't set a ceiling, but I set a floor for my first FTP. I was like, okay, for the duration of this time, I don't go below this number. Um, now as fun as all that is and trying to have a strategy and, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, like game, game, the, uh, the test, 20 minutes is just long enough for whatever plan you have to fall apart. <laughs> to go all the way out the window. 
Uh, like it's j- if it was 15 minutes, you could nail it. But because it's 20, it's just enough where it's ugly at the end. Your pedal stroke look like shit. Your body's all over the place. It might be snot pouring. Like I did our my first test with another teammate, uh, Blake, and you took a picture. And the picture of him, I think he's close to my age, like early to mid 40s. He looked 700 years old <laughs> yeah. during that test. Just, it's, yeah, it's you don't want to stream that. <laughs> no, it turned like at, at the end of it, you are turned inside out. Yeah, and, and that is why it's my preferred testing. Because ultimately, if you just want the number, the ramp test is going to give you that. Hell, if you just want the number, do the predictive. Yeah. You know, but if you're that person who is just trying to get the number or just trying to get what's the end. Believe you me, that behavior pattern is not going to bode well for you when you try to take your FTP and game it in real life on a race course. Right. Right? You're the person who has everything done on your bike for you. Well, if something goes wrong, you're screwed. Like, you didn't go through the work. Like, you didn't, you didn't fight at any point in time so that when the fight comes to you, you're prepared. You just said, what's the quickest way to get to this number? It's a shortcut. That's sure. really what the ramp test is to me. It's a shortcut to the number. And if you want just the numbers so badly, odds are some of the stuff we started talking about, like it being your own individual number, mm. not really being a factor in how you actually race and ride, like all of that stuff, you're probably, you're probably not going to be able to make those. You're probably not going to be able to, to comprehend that and, and game that because you're too stuck on the number. Mm. If you want it that quickly, just use a calculator. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Just make it up. Yeah. Just pick one. Just pick a number. Whatever, just do whatever. Whatever number like makes you feel like you got an A plus on your report card, write that down and just have it. Own it. But know that when the race starts, you didn't do what you could have done. And that's why the 20 minute it trains the athlete while the athlete's getting some good numbers to work yeah. on. Yeah. Um I will ask a, a question. I think I know the answer, and it's okay. I kind of have a perspective. Um, let's say you have an experienced race racer. Let's say that they've, they're, they're race proven. They have grit. Um, they, they're, they're mentally tough. Um, can you see value in using that predictive number to not waste a day of waste, big air quotes, a day of training on a testing protocol? Yeah, that's, that's actually a really good question. Um, in, and I'm going to take it in a real-life example. Can I just use the data from an actual race event where I tried my hardest? Can I use that data? Because I can go through and see what my 20-minute max was. I can see what my one-hour max. Mm. And then it can give me an FTP. Like you, Garmin will do that, right? You've set a new FTP mm. today on your... Can I just use that number? I mean, you can, sure. But what is the number one thing that must be... Uh, that must be present in any testing protocol, not just like FTP, but like like any any testing at all whatsoever. What's the one thing that is is an absolute must with testing? Uh, I, uh, what do you got in mind? Yeah, so <laughs> you have to have fixed variables. Gotcha. And fixed constraints. Like no good science experiment, right? Would have all kinds of var- like you're not gonna you know you're not gonna input a bunch of crazy. You want one variable change, and so if you want to have a good weight, use the same scale. Mm-hmm. If you want to have a good FTP, use the same testing protocol repeatedly on set and fixed intervals, right? That's the way to do it. If I looked at my data from my race, my three days of racing, 
each of those three days gave me a different FTP based on those efforts. And I tried really hard on all of them mm-hmm. when I was down there. And some of them were higher than others. And initially, I looked at it and I go, oh, dude, really? My new FTP is 370? That's freaking sweet, right? There was so many other things at play there. Was it in a pack? Was it not in a pack? Did I do this? Did I do? Like, you can't replicate. I can't replicate a 30% uphill grade in Columbia for an hour. Mm-hmm. I can't replicate that. Mm-hmm. So that's not a good testing metric to use. And I kind of feel that way about predictive when it's using a body of work because your body of work changes. Mm-hmm. So I like a fixed test because the variables seem fixed and it allows me to consistently measure against myself, which is what this number is supposed to be. Again, your number. Right. Okay, long answer. What's your take? Um, I think... I don't disagree with any point you made. Um, I don't use FTP to inform anything that I do outside. Just don't. I don't do structured training. I, I've done some structured recovery rides and a little bit of structured work outside uh, based on FTP. Um, it's really hard unless you're on a road bike it's in the, a controlled environment. Exactly. It's bike hard to path. do. It's not impossible. And if you really want to just really, 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 really be a, a psychobot about whatever you're you know, your threshold intervals are or whatever, it's totally doable. Um, it takes a lot to, a lot of stars to align to do it anyway. Um, so n- nothing of what I do outside informs or, uh, nothing that I do outside is informed by FTP so much so that like on my race screen, um, I just, I took FTP and heart rate off of my, my, my head unit. Yeah. Um, so I, my feeling and I have, I, I used the predictive thing just to backstop, just to curious. I, I did it the same day that we did our last 20 minute FTP test right. just to see how close it was. And it was a watt off. Um, and so because I use FTP strictly to inform my indoor training sessions, uh, I can see using it, but I'll probably still do 20 minute tests. Like when you tell me it's time to do another 20 minute test, like if there's another one before LaRuda or whatever, like I'll do it. Yeah, there is. Like, but you, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like I'm not going to, and my volume and my approach to training right now is such that I'll just do that test and then another hour of endurance. Yeah. So right? that's, that's, so, that, yeah. and that's the thing about like not wasting, like if you're only training, like there's, you know, you hear all this, um, like I got fast on four hours a week. I was like, okay, that's cool. But like, if, if you're only training three or four hours a week on the bike and one of those hours is just an FTP test, like it can feel like a wasted workout or a wasted opportunity. I disagree. I think you disagree. Yeah. hundred percent. It's a waste opportunity. If you, if you ramp tested for sure, because you get, you got a, you got a 25, 30 minute workout where only five minutes were hard. Mm-hmm. If you got done with that, you're like, I don't even need a recovery drink. Like I just, that was like 30 minutes of five but, minutes of work, but the 20 minute test is hour long workout. So it's just a threshold workout. Yep. And then you can do another hour at 60%. Yeah, if you really yeah. feel like you need the volume. Right. Yeah. So um, I don't feel like it's a waste of workout. I do like the, the option for the predictive is nice. If I, had some like overwhelming OCD where like, no, I got to get this. I have two threshold workouts this week and I need to do like this structured threshold, you know, or, or if it's outside time. Yep. Yeah. That would be the other thing. I think that's where it's more impactful where it's like, okay, it's outside time, but I'm supposed to do an FTP test. It is a threshold workout, but it's also dry trails and sunny and it's going to rain in 
Right. 15 hours. Yep. So. Is that what's happening today? That might be what's up. <laughs> like, Justin, why are you talking faster than you normally talk? Well, because I got to get this thing done so I can get out and get my ride between 12, 12 and 2.30. Uh-oh. Yeah. Um, that, and that's where it'll become, that's where I think the, the predictive could be a nice trend line to have in the background. Yeah. Especially when we get to a spot where you're doing either very specific training for a specific style of a race like you're going to have yep. coming up here for La Ruta. Um, or if, you know, we got guys racing the NUE, several of them doing the 100 milers, right? So, well, a short threshold workout, intra-season has its points and you will do them occasionally, but they will be more focused on like, well, what part of that 100 mile race event is a struggle bus for you? Right. Is it steep climbs? Is it keeping your your wattage up on the flats? Like, what what is it, right? Um, there's some nationally ranked mountain bikers that I get to talk with. And uh, one of them's strategy at the top of every climb is to make the last 30 seconds of that climb the hardest part of the entire climb. And he makes those last 30 seconds happen 15 before the crest and the 15 after the crest. Yeah. And he says that, that little difference has won me so many races yep. because people just come off. And so he goes, it's 30 seconds of work. Everyone else sees it like at the top of the hill. Time to sit up. Right. He goes, it's 30 seconds of work, and I never see that person again in these races. And I'm like, dude, that's unbelievable, right? So when we're in season, we may be working on things like that where, yeah, an indoor FTP will kind of be a, a pain in the ass. It doesn't align. And the predictive would be a nice trend line to have in my own track. But if you're at that point, and we're talking about this level of a, of a competitor, you're not going to get an FTP change in the middle of the season anyway. Yeah. Right? Like you just – It's going to stay pretty consistent. Yeah. There's going to come a, a point – where it just is what it is until you get back into yeah. a winter structured training. Yeah. And you know, it may even drop. Yeah. So, and that's where, you know, as I sit with you right now, my fitness is lower right now than it was in February because in February I had gone seven weeks of straight, just pure training. My fitness was crazy high. And then it went race event, race event, race event. And so I've had like then off the bike, then on the build up, then off and then controlling here. And yeah. And so my fitness is actually kind of low right now. And that's what happens in a race season. You get these like whoops because yep. you're trying to get your fitness to peak and then it's a recovery. So your fitness is going to drop and mm-hmm. like it, it's kind of a roller coaster. So the trend line in the background is kind of nice. I think another number alongside of this that can create some stress and for you stress dreams is like that stupid, uh, your stupid fitness number on Strava that predictive number at the bottom of your Oh, you know, I don't even know what it means. I just know mine's really high compared to my two-year average, so I'm stoked. Right, and so you're looking (laughs) at yourself, and that's what I do too. But if you look at the actual number, like my number when I'm in good, when I'm I'm like feeling my fitness is really good, my number's like in the 70s. Yeah. Because most of, if not all of my rides are on dirt, on mountain bikes. Yeah. I had another guy that was just at one of our camps, and he's a great rider, but... uh, like side by side, we would never compete with each other. So uh-huh. just, I'm going to say it that way. Yeah, right? yeah. But he's a great rider, yeah. even greater dude. But his number hovers in like the 105s to 120s or 105s, I think, or something like that on his on his Strava. Like, mm-hmm. how fit are you? My brother, you're in the 105s, and I'm like in the 70s. I'm in really good. So it's just not the same. It doesn't. I mean, dude. To further that, my number's 77 right now. You and I are not in the same shape. Yeah, and my number's in the 60s right now. Yeah, like, it's just. It just, but it, it is 
it's but it's another one of those things that's just relative to you right yeah. so yeah. and so it's it's very interesting you know again I just, we said it like six different ways but there is a thing I'm going to contend with you on and I'm going to do it reluctantly because I'm going to I'm going to be contradicting myself a little bit okay <laughs> we're going to jump into a bubble I like to call hypocrisy okay um <laughs> uh, when I race and much like you pointed out on your head unit, I now like to look at just the directional map or the elevation chart on my screen. Like the side graph. The side graph, yeah. Right. Like to show me the climbs and this and that and the length of the climb. Yep. Um, and I love on the Wahoo where I can like cycle the arrows and it makes it smaller or bigger so I can get like a grander scheme mm-hmm. vision of it. Um, and so I really love to race that way. But... And I've said to do that for other people too, because yeah. you're right in the, in the race, you're racing, dude. Like how hard should I go up this climb? As hard as you can. How hard should I do these flats? As hard as you can. Right. Like, you, you should just be trying. It's a race. Like this is the thing you train for. You've done all of this for the bear on Saturday. How hard should you go? As hard as you can the whole time. Like trust your training. You've right. done the training. You've done the body of work. You, you can only climb so fast and you can only flat so hard. Yeah. Like that's just who you are as a racer. Yep. So let's have all of it. Yep. No holding yourself back. That's how you race. So what's the point of the data? You don't need it. But (laughs) when you know your FTP and you're confident that you have a very accurate one, you can know your threshold, that anaerobic threshold. You can know that spot per FTP um, or heart rate, right? Whatever you want to use. But you can know that spot where you go, when I'm above that, I'm burning valuable assets. And I'm going to have to either replenish them. I can never replenish them at the rate that I'm burning them. I just need to be aware I can only go up there so many times. That's kind of cool. What I like the number for is just five watts below that number. You can sit there all day. Mm -hmm. So when I'm in these, when I was on the steep climb in Columbia and I was like really starting to struggle and I'm like trying to find a 13th gear and my thumb won't, no matter how hard I push that lever, but it's just, it's not finding the 13th gear. It's a piece of shit equipment, right? If I look down, I know the number that goes, dude, that doesn't matter how tired and shelled you are. If you're thirsty, like, you can still do this number do all that, day. Right. Like you know what it is. Yeah. And so if I look down and I see I'm below that number, then I know that there's a grit factor that needs to change and my body can do it. So it's almost like the FTP test where I set a floor. Right. You're just you, like, hey, you You're never allowed to go below this number. Right. Even when you're recovering, because you your body physiologically, your body is. Right. Doesn't matter what your heart feels about it or your head feels about it. And so I have cycled to that number now more frequently. Um, on my geared bike only, obviously, on my single speeds, I have no power meters because there's no such thing. You literally go as hard as you can. Yeah, like you, you are riding or you're walking. That's your power <laughs> meter. Um, uh, but on the geared bike, you can see it and go, I, I have to keep myself honest. So it is a fantastic individual accountability number. Don't disagree with it. I am, despite my total body of work as a bike racer. Like I redid my workout dojo and I have a lot of number plates yeah, of like yeah. big events. Yeah. Right. And some smaller ones. Um, despite all of that, I have an immense amount of growth to do as a bike racer. Um, as, uh, as the bike racer that I aspire to be. Mm-hmm. And that guy needs some tricks played on him. And so, you 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 made a comment and I did not disagree with it at one bit and didn't take it as a negative thing one, uh, even a, a little bit. Uh, but at the very beginning of the year, 
I can't remember if you said it to me or to Colin, but you said that you wished that Colin trained with the intensity that I train with and that I raced with the intensity that he races with. Totally. Um, and I mean, that is the fairest assessment of, you know, he and I are doing a duo at Breck Epic and like, that is the fairest assessment of us as a pair of bike racers, uh, that one could ever make. And so not having that data on there is just a tool to help me stay focused, stay in the moment and just go. Dude, I, you're (laughs) a million percent right. Not a real number. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Um, the only time that I cycle to that floor number is when all of the other stuff has already failed. Yep. Why are you out here? Yeah. What do you want? This What's your for? why? What What's you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when all of that has yeah. failed yeah. and I'm still like, yeah. Yeah. then it's so like for me and it happened in, on these races in Columbia and these are short in a three hour event. It happened. I'm not going to say it didn't. Yeah. But when I went to that number, I knew I was failing. Right. Right. I'm still way out in front. Like the wheels are coming off though. I, yeah. And, and, and as opposed to like the kid who wants to quit, I'm not going to go there ever. But I'm also not going to just limp across to get my finisher's medal, right? right? Like right. I still want to race, and so that's like the last trick in the bag. Sure, you know what I mean. Sure, um, because I I believe the way that you're talking about disguising your your unit, and that's what I do too. So remember, we're doing the same thing. Yeah, I always outperform what my perceived limits are. Right, every time. Yeah, like every one of those days, the the like this is your new FTP. It went up every day. Mm. Right, I always outperformed it because right. you just wanted it more, and that's. Right. But when all of that has failed, FTP and, and less FTP, but more like knowing what that number is, mm-hmm. just like five watts south of it, yeah, is just a great like accountability measure when you've lost everything else, like totally. when you can't cycle to like an Eminem song or right. something like that. Like <laughs> I got stuck on the worst playlist yesterday in oh. my ride, and I'm like, how is this? It was like an Apple Music suggested a list, but it had like a person lifting weights or something. I'm like, how is this motivating? This is, right. how do we get here? Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so the tail end of this, I want to talk, I've heard recently two of our team members talking about wanting to test outside versus inside because they have, there's a notion of like an outside versus an inside FTP. And I think that comes from the perception that doing a threshold, a two hour threshold workout inside is fucking hard, way harder than a two hour threshold right outside. But it's not because it's harder to make 80% of one number inside and 80% of another number outside. No, no, it's It's, downhills. It's coasting. Well, but it, it's also just like, would you rather torture yourself inside, not moving <laughs> with a fucking fan in your face? Totally. And yeah. or would you rather be outside testing on left, uh, Lookout Mountain? Fucking pineapple fields, dude. Right. So I think we can make this real fast. Inside versus outside FTP is bullshit, right? Yeah. The 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 racer is the variable, right? right. Like they're like you're still pushing the pedals in the watts. Yeah. It's just like where did you want to do it more? Right. You know. Uh, to the point I was trying to like march down it's just one number that can give you a trend on where you are individually and the best way to get it would be in a way that you can replicate it and fix it and outdoor is very hard it's very very hard to do outdoors i brought this book up um a handful of times 
in the last few years, but it's called the perfection point. And it talked about 10 different sports feats and what will be the upper limit of humans ability. And, uh, they do a bunch of stuff like by optimizing the athlete and, th- and things like that, like even giving them like birth defects that make arms longer and legs shorter and all these things. But one of them that they did talked about wind speed. Like how fast was the hundred meter sprint ever going to be running? Okay. Yeah. Cause of wind resistance. Yeah. And so there's like, there's an Olympic venue at the highest elevation. And then they talked about the maximum allowable tailwind. And so the, all these are numbers that are fixed in the, uh, uh, the Olympic, the EEOC or whatever that is, mm-hmm. right? Um, they control that. So that if it is race day and the wind is faster than that and it's a tailwind, they can't run the race because it's not a valid race. There's a maximum limit. Right. But that means that there is an advantage up to that maximum limit. Uh-huh. All of that stuff comes into play if you're trying to like, test outside. Right. And so if your number's really good, maybe you had a tailwind. Right. If your number's really bad, well, the wind was in my face the whole time. Right. And I was just not, you know, it's not motivating to ride with the wind in your face. It feels terrible. No. And so you can still create the watts, but you don't really want to. The same is when you're going super. So it's just all these variables. So outdoor testing isn't what we talked about. It's not about controlling the, the environment. Right. And so, I mean, we said it'd be quick, but that's kind of my take on it. I, I, I just, there, my quick reason to why I don't think it makes any sense is because if your perception is that you can test higher outside for some reason, but then you don't do structured training outside. So then you're bringing this higher number into your indoor structured training. You're going to fail that that number. You're going to fail every workout and you'll be pissed off. So unless you're only testing outside and you're only training structured outside, then I want to know my outside FTP is just a flex. It's just wanting to be like, well, I tested, you know, my pre, my indoor was 20 points lower or what? Like it's, I just don't think it makes sense. I think all of this is informed by where you train and all of us just do indoor structured training when it's outside. I went and did an amazing ride yesterday. I had a great time, but at no point did, even though I've been doing massive amounts of structure, I just pedaled because I was outside and going to meet friends. Yeah. Like I rode hard, but like I, I didn't, if I had an outside number and was trying to do stri- it's just, it's just all, it's all bullshit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's what your relationship with it is. If yeah. you're, um, you know, I was in the shop just a couple of days ago and, and Sam showed up and we were all chatting, right? Yeah. And Sam had a, a new watch on. Mm-hmm. It was a badass watch, right? It was really cool looking. It was like big and I have like this weird relationship with watches. I know you love them. Mm-hmm. I have a weird, I don't wear watches and I have one really nice one I got as a prize. And so the only time I wear it is when I want to be like, see that cool watch. You know, yeah. like I have an unhealthy relationship with like a watch. Mm-hmm. When I put it on, I'm, I'm kind of being a douchey dude because I'm like, you know, I have the watch on and then it's like... Do you see it? Yeah. <laughs> right? Look at my watch. Yeah. See the watch right there? No, I, I want it. Like it's, it's un, that's not cool. Yeah. That's unhealthy. Right. And so I just, I really don't wear it. But Sam wears a watch all the time. You wear a watch all the time. You're like, oh, it's a nice watch. I, I had all that weird stuff around it that you guys don't have. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are like that with their FTP. If you are insecure about your FTP, the relationship that you have with it is really unhealthy. It Remember, it's not, it's not who you are as a racer. It's not what you're capable of doing. Like that will come to the fold when you line up at your event mm-hmm. that you cared about. 
not at the event you didn't care about. You're going to do events as a racer that you don't really care about. You can't fix your self-worth on those outcomes then. But if it's a race you care about and you've prepared for it and you've done the work, that's who you are. And that's how you should feel about your self-worth in this world of bike racing, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if your FTP means more than that to you, that's probably a pretty unhealthy thing. And honestly, it's probably limiting your training and your totally, ability. Totally. Um, so race strategy, pacing strategy. Um, I think in my mind, there is a distance under like a, a mid or a maximum distance that a race or pacing strategy doesn't matter. And I think this weekend, the bear is one of those events. Yeah. It's just, there's a 10, there's a 20 and there's a 30. Any of those distances is a sprint. Yeah. And it's got, and and of course it's going to come down to, you know, obviously 30 miles in the Colombian rainforest or whatever is not equal to 30 miles out here in, in Lakewood. Um, But the way you race it. Well, but a pacing strategy right. arguably could be more important when you have yeah. 7,000 feet of climbing versus maybe 2,100 feet. Right. Um, so I think, you know, when you're, the, there's not a hard number, but I think below a certain amount, it's just go ride as hard as you can. Yeah. The, the way in race strategy for longer events to use that FTP data would just be really understanding what your zones are mm-hmm. and knowing like, Based on FTP, as my zone ba- my zone metric here, if I'm in a race, I should never be in zone one unless I'm like coasting downhill. Yeah, downhill. Right. Yeah. Um, zone two is something that is like my last resort zone for endurance style racing with right. FTP. Right. Zone three is where I'm going to spend almost all of the race. In zone four, five, six, I I can only go there. Short periods of time for very, uh, for very purposeful, the top of that climb, or I know that there's a super steep climb and I'm going to put myself into it. And I'm going to end up in those top zone or I'm going to be in that top zone, um, for the bulk of that climb. I know it's 15 minutes or a 20 minute climb, but then I know I have a equal downhill on the backside that I'm going to be able to like completely recover on. Mm-hmm. So I can do that again, right? Th- those are intervals. You do them in your structured workouts. Mm-hmm. So the way to use FTP in longer-based events is just to really set what you talked about earlier, a floor, and say, okay, I can never go below that. And then knowing where it's okay to be in those other zones pertaining to power. But, you know, idiot's definition of FTP is how hard you can go for a straight hour, right? Mm-hmm. Well, by the nature of an outdoor race, you're never going uphill the whole time. So like the bear this weekend, you're right. You go balls out because – the course itself will give you those recoveries. Yeah. There's not going to be, in your races weekend, there's not going to be a straight hour of at or above FTP. No. It just, the course doesn't allow for it. And on the longer course, like, you you can guarantee there's going to be groups that settle into, like, a sweet spot level, like, 80 to 90% of FTP, because the race that race is going to be decided on one of three 700-foot climbs. And or durability on the very tail end. Right. Both of bike and rider. Right. You know? Right. Um, um, so there's a tortoise and hare effect on mm-hmm. endurance racing mm-hmm. that it's hard to quantify with FTP because like to take that as an example. Okay. Tortoise and hare. Well, if I hold 73%, this is a nerd, right? Right. Well, if I hold 73% of FTP the entire time uh, by the numbers, Urgh. I will. Yes, you're right. 
Okay, but if you start the race at 73% of your you're FTP, you're shelled out the back. You're so far off the back that the people you are now riding alongside and are having to pass and navigate and commiserating, like that whole energy yeah. is not the energy of where you your math said you're going to finish. Right. Well, according to my math, I will, well, I will win. But you're never going to be around the winners. And guess what? When you're on winners, you win. That's just yeah. kind of how... <laughs> right. <totally. laughs> That's how this whole thing works, right? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I'm, this is about as nerdy as we get on this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I... But it's it's good to have you know I I listen to a lot of very high level nerd whether it's about mechanical stuff training stuff I listen to a lot of podcasts that almost to the point where I have to turn them off where I'm just like this is too much dry information. Yeah, you, you really got to go. How do I use it? Right, and I, I in listening to these I get annoyed. You know, you don't have to. You know, if you're doing a 12-hour event, you don't have to do a, a training ride that matches that. You can get, you can get it all done just doing a couple hours a week inside. No, not true. You know, you, like there's all these things that I just they're not. I'll back that up a little bit. They're not untrue, but they might be bad advice. Yeah, there. Uh, I was talking with somebody this morning, and was making a suggestion to them about a way of looking at something they, they, they were doing as part of their program. And again, I was just like, man, just like step back a little bit and say, does that, does that make sense for you? Mm -hmm. And that really needs to be where you're at. Otherwise you're training someone else's training program. You're racing somebody else's race strategy, right? Who are you? And so when it, if anything goes awry, you're going to be lost. Mm -hmm. And so I think the information here today was, was enough that people can determine like, well, how much do I put into my FTP? How important is it for me? And how am I going to use it? And then I think the biggest question is, is my relationship with it unhealthy? Like, That's a big one. I mean, it's, we are not the touchy feely, like, you know, we're not that group of people. Like we're, we're a group of pretty serious racers with a, you know, pretty serious mentality towards training. Um, you know, so we're, we're not, it's not going to be all like teddy bears and hugs, but if obsessing about your that number is going to put you into an adversarial relationship with your training or in a bad mental space as far as your performance, then you got to step away from it. Yeah. Because the most important thing is feeling good about your training because that'll carry into feeling good about an event, right? Yeah. And, that, and that, that's always the question, right? When, when you and I sit down and talk, how do you feel about your training? That's the question. Yeah. Because not how much weight did you lift yeah, or right. any of that. Right. Because it... That this is it's an individual sport. Yep. yep. It's an individual sport. Yep. Um, and when you race, you're going to outperform your training, right? When you race, you should be saying to yourself, "Dude, I don't think I can maintain this." Good. That means you're racing. Mm -hmm. When I was on those pace lines to start off each of those days, I was climbing. I'm like, "Dude, there's no fucking way I'm going to be able to do this," but I really don't want to not do this. Mm -hmm. The guy's wheels right in front of me. Right. This guy's going for. Um, He's in the Masters, or he's in his 40s. He's going for a world championship this year. This guy, Otto. Uh, he's Orbea-sponsored racer and distributor in Colombia. Freaking dude's super cool. And at one point, I was dealing with that chain stuff, and, and, he, ends up, and he, he catches up to me. And then I jump on behind him, but I can't use my 51 now. Like, I just can't use it because like, I couldn't trust it. So I'm one down. And he's coming. I'm like, dude, I don't know if I'm going to be able to hold this. But I don't want to not. Right. Because I know what happens. 
if I don't hold it, I know what happens. I just keep slipping further down that hill. Right. And I don't want to do that. You know, try to put that into an FTP test. You can't. You just can't. You can't. You can't do it. So you're better than your FTP, and it's also not who you are. Right. Um, I don't have any more to add. Me neither. And that was I, a lot. My brain is yeah, oozing out of my ear. I feel ear. like I was nicer than I should be, so we need to get out of here, walk down to Nixon's for a coffee, and I got to kick something on the way just to like bulk it back up. <laughs> uh, uh, inanimate well, creature. Inanimate yeah, yeah animal, like a, a, a potted plant or something. Like something. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, that was super fun. That was fun for me. This is the, th- this is the kind of stuff that, you know, I, I, this is what I want to do this year. And so, um, you know, we'll, we'll continue to do, uh, Justin's adventures internationally, but, um, this kind of stuff is fun for me to, to try to like prepare a little bit and, you know, be sciencey without being too sciencey. So hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll talk to you on the next one. See you. You're done! So get the fuck out! You're weak! You're done! So get the fuck out!